<clears throat> this podcast is brought to you by the Almamac and Scientific Canada. It was recorded on the traditional territories shared between the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations. Enjoy. I feel like I just butchered that again, even though we That's close enough. <laughs> we just had the conversation. Okay. My research on <laughs> uh, light adaptation in the in the fish right now. I'm sitting in a kiddie pool, actually. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite nice. Oh, that would be great. But it's oh, uh, not very professional. It's, it's... Hi, everybody. It's Adam. This week, we're starting another two-part episode with Kyle and Drake from the Brain Buzz podcast. Kyle and Drake are psychology grad students at the University of British Columbia, and they both co-host a podcast where they interview other psych researchers. This week, we're going to talk to them about their research, and in the follow-up next week, I'm going to ask them about some of their favorite Brain Buzz episodes and uh, some of their favorite guests. So, let's, uh, let's get to it. I guess we're probably just going to go into it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Uh, this is either the Almamac or a Scientific Canada random walk episode. We'll decide later. <laughs> either way, it's going on the same feed. So uh, <laughs> I'm with two very special guests. Um, we, we we just finished an episode. We're kind of doing a little cross episode here. Guys from the Brain Buzz podcast, welcome. Hey, thanks, thanks for having us. us. Hey, appreciate it, Adam. Yeah. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves for us? Um, you're you're both at UBC and you are psych guys. Yes. Uh, tell us about yourselves. Kyle, I'll tell you, baby. <laughs> I know you want to start with the good voice, so <laughs> we always lead with the deep the deep uh, radio voice. So Kyle goes first. <laughs> yeah. I like startling people with that because I think they look at me and they don't think like, oh, you know, like they don't they don't get the voice out of me visually. <laughs> Anyways, that's entirely aside. Hi, that's everyone. why we haven't done videos up until this point, Adam. We always keep it behind. Uh, just it ruins the, the prestige. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about yours. Like, is it a stature thing? You, you seem like you have a... I was going to say a face for, for radio voice, but no. That, that I do have... I, I, have, I have a face... I, I don't have a face for radio voice. I, I think I have a radio voice, hopefully. Um, but... <laughs> Hopefully, I have something a little better than a face for it. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're Kyle, so myself. that was a long I'm way of Kyle, saying you're Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Durham, uh, I am one of the co-hosts of Rainbow's podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm a psychology researcher, PhD student uh, at the Department of Psychology at uh, at the University of British Columbia. Couldn't decide if I was going to go with the uh, the short form or or really spell it out for people there. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and, and to your left, in as far as I'm concerned, is okay. I'm the left. Um, yeah, I'm Drake. Uh, my name is Drake Levere. I'm also at UBC. Kyle and I are both hosts of Brain Buzz Podcast, and we've been doing the Brain Buzz Podcast for three years now. We're on our fourth season, um, and we talk about science and uh, psychology and now physics. Our first physics episode was <laughs> with Adam, so we're we're branching out. It's uh. Well, our whole goal is it's kind of similar to what Adam, it seems like, is doing with his work is trying to make, you know, science and psychology more applicable and more interesting for everybody to kind of consume. So that's our goal. Um, and I study health and relationships and uh, sexuality. So those are my uh, that's my research area. I, I would really like to talk to you guys about the the podcast since Absolutely. it's not Absolutely. that often that I have uh, other podcast people <laughs> on the podcast. But um, but maybe we can do like a very quick um, cursory 
what is the the goal of your research? What kind of research do you do? Is it, you know, with living human beings? Is it uh, more theoretically type stuff? Yeah. Is there a lot of data? We love data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love data. We love our data. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll continue the trend by going first. Um, mm. So my research uh, heavily focuses on understanding how health factors, health behaviors, lifestyle behaviors impact day-to-day -day cognitive function. And so what I mean by that is how does how does what we do, how does you know our physical activity habits, how do our sleep habits, diet habits, how do those impact uh, our the way we think really at a broad level? So uh, you know how do we how do we pay attention when we're you know sitting in class or sitting at our work desk or you know, wherever that might be. How do we remember what groceries we're going to get when we go to the store? Um, so stuff like that, I try and take a really uh, applied approach so that my work is hopefully less theoretical and more applicable uh, in terms of being able to assist people in their day-to-day -day living. Is there like a, a specific cognitive task that um, you're most interested in, like paying attention to, you know, lectures or... Um you know, being able to do mental math or something like that? Is there like a, a cognitive task that you often look at? Um, so I'll say I'll say yes and no. Uh, and the reason being is that there and something that I'm getting into right now is I kind of unfortunately am hoping to wrap up kind of my work is really understanding how these objective theoretical measures that we use in, in a lab setting, how they really apply to our everyday world. And so if you think about like one, one task that I use quite frequently is called uh, the Erickson flanker task. And so it's, it's a classic uh, cognitive paradigm. And what you do is you sit somebody down in front of a computer and you show them a row of arrowheads and there'll be five of them. And all the arrowheads will either be facing the same way or the one in the middle will be facing the opposite direction to the other two on the sides. And what you have to do is, or what we ask our participants to do is, you know, using the arrow keys on a, on a keyboard, indicate which way that central arrow is, is facing. Um, and so, you know, it's a very good task. It's very reliable. It's consistent. We can do it over and over. People tend to score similarly. Um, but I, my challenge to the industry is, when do people sit pressing arrow keys looking at an arrowhead on a computer like that that's a very very niche task that really doesn't happen in the real world i think um i think the closest you might get is like if for some reason you cared about how fast you could leave or you know you hit the gas after the light turns green is kind of the most <laughs> the most right you know applicable sense of that so you know it, it's i think it's an ongoing challenge in cognitive psychology if you're not if you're not looking to understand the really process-driven, uh, you know, neurofunctional level, uh, the application of it to the real world can be can be where we get lost. And so that's that's kind of where I'm trying to bridge that gap is is looking at ways in which, hey, we let's let's take what we know and and see if we can apply it in a real world circumstance mm -hmm. for people. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I as part of my own self-edification, have uh, volunteered for some of these psych, um, you know, experiments at McMaster with some people. And I apologize uh, on their behalf. <laughs> some, of them are, for sure. some of them are kind of fun. Some of them seem 
like I, I just couldn't wrap my head around like what is it that they're really trying to test like what yeah. what real life thing is this like yeah sometimes they'll like show me a video like a one minute video and then it asks me like how many times did you see an instance of water or something and like okay that kind of makes sense that's like kind of like listening to a lecture or something right but uh yeah the arrow thing i, I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean to to kind of put it in perspective the idea with the arrowhead thing is is that we we take in a lot of stimuli from the outside world right and so we're i'm sitting here i'm looking at my computer but i've got you know my phone is in front of me so i'm trying to ignore that which continually beeps and buzzes at me uh i've got another monitor here on my side that you know things might be on uh you know i see your dog in the background so i'm trying <laughs> adorable very cute um but the, the point is that I'm trying to maintain my attentional focus on you and our conversation. And so I'm putting aside these other visual distractors. And so, you know, that's kind of the application of it in that, you know, to take it from that theoretical to the real world sense. Right. You know, the ability to shut out other information, attention grabbing stimuli that you're not trying to pay attention to. Yeah. And I guess the benefit of one of the benefits of the the arrow business is that you know, regardless of your age or, you know, where you are from or whatever, you, you know what an arrow is, or I can show you an arrow and you'll remember <laughs> yeah. what that looks like. And, and yeah. so there should be very little, I don't want to call it cross contamination, but you know, whatever. Yeah. You call that and, uh, yeah. There, I think there, I think you're getting at this idea of a lot of cultural difference. And, and the nice thing about this arrowhead thing is there really isn't one thing yeah. I have seen that's, it's quite funny. Uh, was I saw a paper looking at uh, the same paradigm, but with kids, and they found that kids just weren't engaged, and so they were kind of not paying attention to the task at all, which was okay. a problem. So what they did was they used little like cartoon fish, and so they'd have you know five fish, and they'd be like, which way is the middle fish facing, and and that seemed to work for kids. So you can you can make you can really. Uh, make it culturally uh, appropriate and available for a lot of people very easily. Yeah. Which is really I nice. do not envy you guys in, in that sense. Like, I, <laughs> once you start using fish, though, they have like faces or something like that. Like, does that affect things? Like, oh man, yeah, if I it have has no idea. Eyes, like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's a great question. I would think it would in some sense, but yeah. I mean, I, if you're trying to do the task and kids, like, uh, tough Too enough tough. already. Psychology is way too complicated. I, I, <laughs> I don't even. That's um, funny that you say that because we think yeah. the same way about physics. So that's oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Hooke's law, it's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now that you've explained it to us. Yeah. Um, and Drake, you said you do relationship type stuff. Yeah, so my work's very different than Kyle's. Uh, I'll, I don't do uh, specifically like laboratory work or experimental work in the, in the sense that uh, we don't have them coming into the lab. Um, my work has mainly focused on sexuality and relationships. My PhD work is on how couples support each other in times of stress. So uh, I'm looking at couples that are either dealing with chronic illnesses or in high stressed uh, situations or to periods of their lives. So an example would be uh, couples that one of them had one partner has rheumatoid arthritis. Um, we look at paramedic couples. We look at um, 
couples that are having their firstborn child because that's also a very stressful time for them. Um, so those are the kind of cu couples that we're looking at. We're looking at how they support each other and how they cope with stress on a daily basis with each other and how they help each other. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing uh, since I've been at UBC. And then that also on the side, I've been working on sexuality research since I started. So it, it's kind of been focused on how um, there's a lot of things that I look at in sexuality, but I've been working with a lot of colleagues on sexual consent, um, sexual uh, risk taking across uh, gender or gender or, or sexual orientations between men. So we look at um, men who have sex with men and heterosexual men, um, and we look at how they differ in sexual risk taking, how they differ in uh, their genital self-image, um, and yeah, just a bunch of other things uh, that I think are really cool. So we've done that, and then I'm looking into work on sexual desire now and um, sexual harassment and uh, microaggressions. So that, that's kind of all of the work that I do. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so a f I have a few questions that are not really related, so maybe I'll work backwards. And, Love it. So that's, that's good. Maybe we'll start with the first thing that you said, actually. Let's let's go that way instead. Um, sure. The first bit about um, couples supporting each other. Um, yeah. This sounds like a very um, poignant area of research. Are, are you... So first part of the question is, um, is there, do you ever do like writing for, for magazines or, or things like that? Or do you know people who, who do that kind of thing? Um, certainly. Yeah, I do. I do know a lot of, uh, colleagues that are bloggers, uh, a lot of sexuality bloggers. So talking okay. about sexuality and couples, um, sexual desire, um, uh, but, uh, not too, too many people that I've met at least yet. Cause there's a lot of support researchers and, and relationship researchers out there, um, mm -hmm. that are talking about support. Um, but there's a lot of layers to the type of support you give, you, you know, yeah. the support receiver and things like that. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a really cool area that I'm like hoping to explore more for sure. Yeah. I, I say this because, uh, I was just wondering, I mean, COVID and all this, uh, a lot of like yeah. quarantining and, uh, is it fair to say that, you know, having a, a couple living within quarantine like that is a, a stress type situation that would uh, would interest you as a researcher or? Yeah, different, so different? I think it's a really good point, Adam. I think uh, I, I'm laughing to myself because I think um, <laughs> every yeah. granting agency oh. wants to know that right this second. Or? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are there are a lot of labs right now working on, you know, what's going on with couples during COVID. And one of my lab is doing the same. Actually, they're looking at how people are managing within that. But uh, uh, obviously, as soon as COVID happened, uh, as a relationship researcher, people not people actually know this, but, uh, you know, when you're doing a research study, uh, on people that before COVID was a thing, um, those stressors are very unique. And those like, so for example, I was running my study with, um, couples that had a preschool age child. It was their first child. Um, and looking at how they're stressed that sample. So the sample before COVID, so before, let's say January, 2020, uh, oh. is a very unique population now because they are now pre COVID. So we can't use we can't do the same study anymore um, because there's different stressors. And Does so like a bunch of your data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually, we stopped, we stopped recruiting for that uh, study and a lot, and that, that's happened a lot across a lot of labs. So I think it's kind of an interesting point that not a lot of people think about. Um, but, you know, COVID has significantly impacted a lot of people's research programs because, 
you know, if you are looking at stress in, in couples, they are now uniquely stressed. There's a there's a new stressor that you can't account for or you didn't have in your study that you were thinking about, right? So oh. so you can't you can't do that anymore. And so I mean, my study, thankfully, we had a, a, enough couples already, but um, it didn't completely sewer me. But I think your point that is making me laugh is because anecdotally, I mean, there's always that, that that's what drives you to do your work is like, okay, what what happened in my life that makes me want to look at this. And then for me, relationships has always been that way. I mean, I come, I'm coming off of a breakup because of COVID. I, I'm not blaming oh. COVID exclusively, <laughs> but I was living with a partner during COVID, right? And it, it, it is a little bit stressor. Yeah. It's a unique stressor. I like to consider it a pressure cooker, more or less, of like, you know, if there's any issues or, you know, communication issues, support issues, whatever it is, whatever's going on with that couple, um, being unable to use your other support mechanisms. So your ex external support um, outside of that outside of that romantic couple um, can really, really hamper that relationship if not adapted effectively. Um, so, you know, whenever you're in a tight space, you can't go, you usually use support mechanisms and coping mechanisms like going to work out with friends or like hang out with friends, do sports, whatever. That's removed. Mm -hmm. and, and all you have is to stay at home and sometimes work at the same times, you know, have to cook and like be quiet around other people's meetings and say podcast recordings, things like that, that <laughs> can wear on you. And I think there's it's it's 100 percent. I think that there will be a lot of really cool research coming out. And my assumption is my hypothesis that there will be the covid dump kind of research on, you know, at a lot of people really not benefiting from COVID because, I mean, from a relationship or having to, ex or experiencing breakups because of it. Right, right. I, um, so, so for the, these very unfortunate people that, uh, researcher wise, I mean, whose data has been compromised. No, I'm <laughs> You are talking to some of the research. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, these people whose, uh, whose data has become so compromised, Yes. Is there any way for them to sort of, you know, use this new stimulus and like try to create a new hypothesis and like rework the data a little bit? Or are there ethical considerations there like um, like from a, a science standpoint of like, well, it's not fair to rework a, a hypothesis once you've started collecting these things or right. do you have a sense I of how that would work? That's a really good point. I mean, depends on the study and depends on how how people approach it. There's a lot of there's a big push for a lot of researchers to do pre-registration where you have an idea and you're like, okay, this is my idea. This is what we're going to look at. But I think that there's there's a lot of value. There could be a lot of value for studies to swivel in that way to be, hey, say uh, we've got 100 or 200 couples uh, and a lot of data from these couples. Right. So we use daily diary designs or longitudinal designs intensive longitudinal designs where we'll ask we'll ask uh, couples to fill out independently fill out surveys um, three times a day for two weeks to a month right so we have tons of data on these people talking about you know how do you get supported today what was your stress what was what were you stressed about today how do you cope with it all these things we're asking throughout the day so we can see changes throughout the weeks and so if you have that data set uh, and you have like a really good question where you're like what was their stress level or what, how are they coping with the you know, everyday stress? And then you want to say, look at couples that were in COVID, you could probably do follow ups with the same couples and see how they manage if, if certain things that they were doing before COVID, if those would predict how they'd manage in, in, in COVID times. 
right? So it's like if you're using a certain type of support that's not necessarily beneficial or there's a there's a uh, incongruence, so a difference in like your perceptions of how you support your partner and how your partner thinks you support them. So like you say you support your partner a lot and your partner says, no, 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 they don't support me very well, right? So if, if you have that, you could predict like, for example, you know, are those couples going to do worse in COVID? Are they going to, Are you could predict divorces, you could predict breakups, you could predict these things. So there's a possibility for that overlap. Unfortunately, my, my, my research project, we won't be doing that. But I think there's so much potential for labs that had a study running to do that. And I really look forward to the possibility of seeing research like that done. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, the other thing that kind of maybe uh, that, I don't know, you reminded me of when you said uh, it, Pressure cooker type situation. Uh, I've been using the Instant Pot a lot lately. Ah, the Instant Pot, nice. (laughs) Yeah, have you been cooking a lot? uh, I have been, yeah. I'm a baker now. Oh, baker. It's a COVID, it's a COVID, uh, like, it happened due to COVID, so I'm now baking a lot more. (laughs) Got your sourdough starter going? Yeah, no, no, (laughs) sourdough I couldn't do. It was too difficult, so I had to keep it simple. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) <laughs> sorry i interrupted yeah. you with the pressure cooker comment yeah the pressure cooker concept uh reminded me of all these um i had it sort of like a, a nasa kick for a while but uh especially like with the mars travel and everything um they say that like a lot of the selecting for people to go to mars or something a lot of it's going to be based on what it's like living in a pressure cooker with these people right yeah um do you, do you think you can get some money out of nasa <laughs> do, you think, do you think they're looking to fund some psych uh... I have a hard time getting money out of anybody Adam um, yeah. All right. <laughs> but that's be a good partnership I mean uh, I think they definitely benefit from some relationship researchers especially because I mean that and you know when you're talking about like sociologists too right thinking about how different groups in like uh, interact um, different cultures like you get sociocultural psychologists too to t- doing that work but yeah relationships are when you don't have what you, when you've built up these coping mechanisms and these support systems and they're removed um, it's going to be tough right and if you're not adapting and changing those to suit your your needs mm-hmm. uh, you'll see a lot of negative outcomes and and that's and that's what's kind of I feel like a lot of people are people are on two camps at least and this is all like obviously not backed because the research isn't really out yet but I'm thinking uh, during COVID during times of stress you know during these kind of crazy times you'll have people that are able to adapt and change the coping mechanisms that they're using so you'll see people that are like okay now I'm meditating now I'm eating right now I'm you know, now I'm going for more walks that's great like they're they're adapting they're trying to change the way that they're they're doing things to 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 adapt and to sort of survive more or less right and then others aren't able to do that as well where you know they're keeping the same coping strategies or they're supplementing it with you know more maladaptive or long-term possibly deleterious uh coping strategies like overeating you know drinking you know smoking whatever it is or watching like copious amounts of netflix right so it's like if you're using those mechanisms and you're not really you know adapting in a way that's healthy for you you're going to see these these negative outcomes uh and especially within your relationship right Add on top of the fact that you're not coping well and you're not supporting your partner and your partner's not coping well and they're not supporting you. And then, then it just becomes 
this instant pot pressure cooker situation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it doesn't take long time, just like the instant pot. It doesn't take long to explode, right? <laughs> if it's Very not. efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Um, and I, I feel like this kind of leads into the, the second thing that I was going to mention is um, so technically you guys are in the, the same department. I don't know why I said technically you guys are in the same department, correct? Yeah. Psychology yes. department. Yeah. 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 So psychology, Um, I, I personally don't have a, a large familiarity with it, but it seems like it's pretty vast in terms of like um, the kind of not even just the kind of questions, but uh some of the stuff that we've talked about so far sounds very much like a, a social science type question where the other stuff seems like you could go more in like a neuroscience type direction certainly yep. could yeah could you maybe absolutely. like um say something a little bit about um like is right. is that like a hard and fast differentiation like for physics hard matter soft matter those right. are like lines that you cross potentially mm -hmm. or like <laughs> astronomy it's like kind of the same thing are there like different camps within your your department that are you know yeah more... yeah okay. absolutely um there are definitely you know hard camps or sort of the hard hard science versus the soft science um there's there's like the whole neuroscience area that does you know that specifically um within the department of psychology when you kind of get into the softer side of things, there'll even still be that distinction. So there might be labs like for Drake's work, there'll be labs that are looking at understanding, you know, some of the neural mechanisms that underlie uh, stress and how those, you know, how those end up resulting in be certain behaviors or outcomes. Um, right. Drake said uh, he's also looking at attraction. And I've definitely seen, you know, pop science articles about like, we, uh, you know, put these uh, electrodes on some person's head and showed them pictures of, I don't know, yeah, sexy ladies and dudes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. Did. Uh, yeah. Versus, you know, relationship type stuff. That seems like it's two very different um, mm -hmm. approaches. Yeah, I think I think one thing to note too, Adam. I mean, there's we're in the right we're in the same department, but we're very different. Like, there's so many different there's different areas within psychology. So we have just to name a few of them off the top of my head. I'm in health psychology. Kyle is in cognitive. There's social psychology, clinical, developmental, where they're looking at you know changes across development, and then you have neuroscience and and uh, neurobehavioral science. Um, and I'm missing a couple, I imagine. Like there's occupational <laughs> yeah. psychology as well. There's there's tons yeah. of different other ones. Um, but there, I will say there's a lot of overlap as well. So, I mean, because I'm in a health psychology lab, I look at a lot of things within couples and, and stress and uh, health. But you'll still see social psychology labs looking at relationships and health and stress and things like that. Same thing with cognitive psychology. You know, Kyle might be looking at the cognitive interactions or other people that are in cognitive might be looking at like, how the brain works under stress. Right. Um, and then you yeah. have, then you obviously have behavioral neuroscience or neurobehavioral sci neuroscience, uh, students and, uh, professors looking at cortisol levels in mice or rodents and like looking at how they respond to stress, right? You have the, you know, shocking mice to see how they react is like a typical neuroscience uh, thing yeah. to do. So th there's a lot of overlap on whatever topic you want, but I, the thing is there's so many topics within the way the human brain works and how we function as humans in general. So it's, there is overlap, but I mean, at the same time, there's a lot of collaboration across those areas. Sometimes, sometimes there isn't, but uh, 
yeah, right, it's, right. it's a unique one because you can get into so many things and really never talk to some, but some areas and not get their perspectives or you're working with those other areas and you're, you're thinking about those things. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I could, I could imagine how, you know, two people could be studying, you know, relationships gr- broadly. Yeah. Somebody top down could be looking at, uh, if, you know, we speak to each other in a certain way, this, you know, we can cope in a certain way, blah, 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 that kind of yeah. thing. Or you can go from the very bottom up and like, I want to look exactly what this hormone does to this area of the brain that causes you to, you know, be a nice person or <laughs> whatever. A good yeah. partner. Yeah, that'd be great <laughs> if you could figure that out. Just, uh, uh, yeah, cool. no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think like there's a million different ways you can design a study to look at a similar concept in a different light, right? So you can look at biomarkers like cortisol levels. You can look at, you know, you can take people's hair and look at their cortisol levels and see how stressed they are and like make connections that way. You can follow them like I do on a daily basis and see that for, for weeks. Or you can put them in a lab and like force a question, for, force a tough decision or tough tough conversation and see how they react and look at all these mm-hmm. other things, right? So the world is your always. I mean, like you can, it's really like, Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, you can do it as long as you're getting at the right uh, operalized operalizations of whatever you're looking at, right? Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you would you you need to study it at all those different levels and see yeah. how they sort of connect and everything. That's really absolutely. Cool. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. See, aren't you so glad this is going to be a two-part episode? So. Tune in next week at the same time, and we're going to be talking about Brain Buzz, their podcast. Uh, If you want to get a little bit more of them right now, you can head to their podcast website, brainbuzzpodcast.com. Actually, I encourage you to do that because I am guest on this week's episode. So check me and them out at brainbuzzpodcast.com. And if you want a lot more of me, you can head to scientificcanada.ca. See you next week. (laughs) 